This podcast is entitled Falsification, and it um, derives from a passage on page uh, 282 of the novel Guard of Honor by James Gould Cousins, and uh, one of the most um, uh, perilous forms of falsification in literary criticism is the inability of almost anyone in the world to recognize that we were given in the middle years of the 20th century two extremely perceptive um, mirrors up to nature in two novels written by the master cousins, one Guard of Honor and one By Love Possessed, but that's not what the podcast is about. The podcast takes off from a statement that Cousins puts in the mouth of one of his heroines, Cora Ross, the wife of Colonel Ross, who sort of runs very rationally and very um, with great probity the... Um, Air Force Base near Orlando in 1943, but in the words of Cora, we see something about falsification that not only applies to marriage and all of our lives and the whole way that people compartmentalize, we all do it, very sincerely, actually, but nevertheless with huge lead shields between different parts of ourselves, but it also covers this quote from Cousins's character, Cora Ross, it covers the falsification that exists in so deeply troubling and actually terminal a form in Christian communities and faith communities today and also points us to that which is ultimately non-falsifying in Christianity that I want to talk about it briefly. Now, that is a kind of letting the... Uh, uh, greyhounds out of the gate <laughs> start, and I do want to remind everyone that the podcast uh, can be responded to and um, interacted with through your emails to my Gmail address, which is pzspodcast at gmail.com, pzs, no apostrophe, podcast, one word, pzspodcast at gmail.com. Please write me. What is that song by Sommer and Garfunkel? Why don't you write me? I'm waiting. I am waiting. Isn't that the little shop of horrors? Seymour the plant. I am waiting. Feed me. Feed me. Now, falsification. Cora is speaking to her husband, relevant to the possibility that so many of these men who are fighting the war, World War II, <clears throat> and in this case are on an Air Force training base far away from their wives and children, and the potential for adultery to exist among these officers far, far away from their families which are keeping the home fires burning. And this is what she says. The weak point, Norman, if by any chance you aren't perfectly aware of it, is the definition of, quote, anything that would hurt his wife, end of quote. He will always end by deciding it isn't a matter of what he does, it's a matter of what she knows. He's wrong. Either you see why or you don't. It is a matter of falsifying a relationship, which has to be a kind of common trust between two people. If he is, in the very exact phrase, untrue, and she doesn't know it, he may think he's getting away with something. He isn't. He has made it no longer a common trust. He's made an unstable arrangement of ignorance on one side and deceit on the other. However, that isn't what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> well, this um, notion of falsification 
of a relationship of trust is something that um, really helps us to understand why infidelity and what today is sometimes called open marriage can never work. It's not a moral judgment. It's a It is that in a sense, but it's a moral judgment founded on a reality. You cannot love two women and give them your heart at the same time, nor can a woman love two men at the same time. She may think she can, but in fact it falsifies the instinctual character of trust and commitment by believing that that can be shared. Um, it, 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 It... Reality proves us wrong on that, even if ideality and rationalization and self-justification might desire to prove us right. Let me give you an example, and then I'll apply it to aspects of current life within Christianity with hopefully an alternative of hope. Agnes Varda was the very loving and wonderful and gifted wife of Jacques Demy, the French film director of an optimistic romanticism. And Agnes Varda, however, in her own right, was a director of important movies during both the French New Wave and later. And recently Criterion released a four-pack, four of her movies, um, two of which I think are masterpieces, at least one of which is. But one of them is called Le Bonheur, late 60s movie in beautiful color with tremendous uh, shades of uh, great greens and reds and um, uh, yellows and oranges because it takes place outside near a beautiful stream and river with wonderful sunflowers and roses and beautiful nasturtiums everywhere. And in Le Bonheur by Agnes Varda, which is now available, a falsification occurs that is caught. And the movie is very um, relevant to what Cora Ross has said. Agnes Varda depicts a young, I think he's a carpenter, who is married to Jizu, and they have a lovely little child, and they have a happy, delightful, sexual, warm marriage together. They're young and passionate and lovely and dear, and she's a mother, and it's just beautiful. And in connection with the trips that he takes on Sundays to have a picnic by this beautiful river in a public park, he meets a woman whose name escapes me. Uh, his name, needless to say, is Francois, but I forget the other woman. And she's a beautiful blonde, and he falls in love with her. She's a postal clerk, and they begin a passionate sexual affair. And he then comes to his wife, and he says, look, uh," and there's Mozart uh, string um, chamber music throughout this. It's an idyll of beauty, idyll of uh, paradisical uh, bucolic romance. And he begins an affair, and he comes to his wife and says, look, he said, I love you, Jizo, very, very much, and I love our family, and I also love this woman that I've met recently who's beautiful, and you know her, they know one another, and she's wonderful, and can she move in, and we're going to have a happy family together. I will have a wonderful, loving sexual life with you and uh, be a good father to our wonderful, delighted daughter, delightful daughter, and I will also have a sexual relationship with his, with Francoise, and we will have together a family characterized by happiness and le bonheur. And the wife agrees to the shock of the viewer. She says, oh, if that's what you really want, um, I, think, I think that would be probably doable. And what all men wish, you might say, she might say, she says, and then she goes and drowns herself. Now, what happens after that? That's not a spoiler because the movie's not over. And what happens after that, you'll have to see. The movie is um, very um, ambivalent. Uh, But um, the power of it is that 
he has tried to falsify a relationship which cannot be done. And she, in her rational life, has sort of justified the possibility of keeping him and their life as it is and making the calibration to bring in her as a second sexual partner to her beloved husband. And something instinctive and instinctual in the reality of life rears up, and she instinctually and compulsively and immediately, without any consideration, drowns herself and kills herself. Now, that is powerful, and that is to say that falsification ultimately is always caught, not by moral judgment, although you could say that, but it's caught by the truth, because when you're when the truth is with you, the truth always follows. The truth always uh, works itself out. Now, what happens so often in um, faith communities is that the great truths of the New Testament, which are two, basically, first is that human nature is a reality, that human nature is profoundly um, unflattered, and human nature has within itself, within its libido and its um, tremendous need to absolve itself of any blame and its tremendous need to simply call itself a perfect uh, will inevitably cause tremendous problems and that the greatest problems of life are inside the person, not outside. Jesus said that the problems of life are not caused by what goes inside a man and into his belly and then through his body and out. They are caused by what comes from the man out of the heart comes either malice and jealousy and covetous and, and all the infidelities and falsifications. And similarly, out of the belly can also come the presence of love, the Holy Spirit, the one, the absolute, and the tremendous energy of compassionate uh, and merciful um, love for one's fellow beings. Well, um, Paul also talked about the heart of the problems inside. Now, the reality of um, that, coupled with the compassion and mercy on the reality, these two great powerful themes in the New Testament are falsified very characteristically by human nature in the Christian movement, just as they're falsified in the local car wash and in the nursing home that I'm looking at through my open window. Look through any window, yeah. What do you see? Smiling faces all around little ladies in their gowns. Listen to the Hollies, by the way. Now, they, their early album by the Hollies is fabulous. Talk about a ringing guitar. What is it? He could play his guitar like a ring in a bell. I mean, that uh, guitar line in uh, all sorts of songs by the early Hollies is fabulous. Now, I can look at the retirement community. I can look at the offices across the street. I can look at the disputed traffic um, um, conjunction where I live. I can look at uh, anything I want to look at, and I'll find the same falsifications based on compartmentalization and rationalization. But here we want to see it briefly in relation to the Christian community where falsification, just as in marriage, creates a terminal destruction of what actually it's all about and uh, causes us all to say, what the heck happened? Now, let me give you a couple examples. <clears throat> in my view, the backing uh, by the um, uh, Christian churches, particularly the evangelical Christian churches, um, almost across the board uh, of the uh, preemptive Iraq war, was a shocking falsification of what Christianity actually has stated in the Sermon on the Mount. That is to say, Jesus, to, to believe that a pro 
active act of violence could be justified from the New Testament, you'd simply have to cut out the entire Sermon on the Mount, which we've always, let alone the Beatitudes. And um, the uh, 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 Ron Paul said this recently. He surprised us. I, I, I don't know about politics any longer, but I did know that we had a primary that has now come and gone. The phone rang off the hook for two weeks, whether for Newt or to Mitt, and then instantaneously it stopped. It's like Christmas. That's what the world does. It stops immediately once the once the aggro and the world's needs to feed itself um, ends. The phone calls stopped instantaneously at about 10 o'clock on primary day. Well, I would want to say, Ron Paul was quoted by saying, he, he said, you know, I was always surprised that the evangelical Christians, to a man, as it were, to a person, backed the um, preemptive pre uh, war on Iraq. I, I couldn't reconcile that with what I thought was their number one you know, leader, our leader, uh, I couldn't understand how they could do that and actually be reading the same Bible that I thought I was reading, in particular the Sermon on the Mount. Well, he raises a good question simply to say when you falsify a statement or a, a stand by you can you can it's no it's it's a no brainer to say that drones and uh, preemptive strikes are appropriate from a consequentialist point of view, as you've heard me say before. That's a no brainer, but just don't compartmentalize the New Testament if you say that. Don't say that as a Bible-believing Christian, I believe that. You can say it as a regular person and have all of the uh, facts on your side and uh, what's called prudential ethics on your side, but just don't don't blame it on the New Testament. Um, well, the falsification that the church got itself involved in, I believe, is one of the tr most um, rock-bottom reasons why the Christian church is under such a cloud in America today. But I'll say a few other things. One of the things that's happened in my own history, that is in the context in which I worked for so long, is the um, belief that the law can resolve um, ecclesiastical disputes. You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about church uh, jurisdictions or administrative bodies that uh, go to court to uh, get property back that is uh, claimed by a, quote, schismatic or heretical or other body which is protested against the national body's policies and is holding on to a local property which it believes it has title to. And so both parties, the national church body and the local group of people who uh, are claiming they own the property, go to court and go to law to get a judgment in favor of one or the other of their positions. And this um, is a terminal falsification because it goes against Scripture. I mean, th th there are a lot of things that the, Jesus and St. Paul do not address and did not talk about in the New Testament, all sorts of things they did not talk about. But one thing that they very clearly addressed, both of them, and in particular St. Paul, is Christians should never go to secular law to resolve uh, an ecclesiastical or intra-body of Christ dispute, that that is both unbecoming and a terrible, quote, witness, end of quote, to the, quote, world, end of quote, but is also cannot possibly work because, after all, did not St. Paul say Christ is the end of the law? And has not um, Jesus commented on the nature of the law to get our knickers in a twist? Is not the whole uh, purpose, you know, I was once bound by the law, but now I'm free? Isn't the whole essence of the Christianity a kind of comment on the delusive character of law to control and maintain uh, and finally judge, whereas uh, only uh, grace, mercy, absolution uh, 
um, and love uh, liberate and emancipate? Well, when Christians on the liberal side and on the conservative side went to secular law, no wonder that on the one hand you have the national jurisdiction or larger body needing to sell churches all over the ball yard, especially those, not only those, but also those which have been vacated by the others, and now they're up for sale. Uh, And then you have the others trying to, quote, scramble, end of quote, to find a place to meet, usually a public school. But, you know, that's on the outs. I mean, these church plants that want to meet in public schools, it's going to stop. It's already been formally, I don't think it'll ultimately be sustained by the courts, but it may well be the courts. You hear what I'm saying? Um, the um, normal place for all church plants and all disembodied church groups to go when these legal things go down is, is public school <clears throat> gyms, and that that will soon in the Northeast and in the Far West, and I feel certain in most parts of the country and ultimately nationally be cut off in our memory coming up from them. And so here you have uh, tons of empty church buildings which are just dying to be used <clears throat> and could gain income from this, and <clears throat> thousands of, quote, Christians who have been deprived of their place of residence are now looking to a place and they can't go to the public schools. All I'm trying to say is whether you're on the left or you're the right, because you can reason your way around both positions. But the fact is, if you so falsified your formal and material belief that the Word of God written is... Uh, vital and binding for you, and then you go against what it says in plain English, as it were, Hebraisch und Griechisch, Lateinische Sprache, you go against that, well then, what in the world, who, who's, if you falsify your understanding of the Bible and compartmentalize it, believing that you can therefore hire litigating people and judges to find for you, you have uh, falsified your own reality as a Christian person. Uh, the nightmare of sex is also a falsification because the uh, nightmare of sex was something that uh, people... Um, the reality of the instinctual physical character of the sexual drive was something that Christianity falsified by not giving it enough attention. It actually uh, did not um, see it as a good thing in many, many forms that Christianity took. And you'll see a little bit of that in the New Testament. And this militated against a, a, a looking at reality as it is. And when you don't look at reality as it is, it always comes back and gets you, as I said earlier, in Le Bonheur. Whatever we may think would be nice about a menage a trois, and it might be a man's dream, and it might some you might even find other people for different reasons could defend it and say you know I think this can go maybe this I really don't like my husband that much but I don't want to leave my child and I don't really mind him I just don't have much of a feeling for him and let's bring in someone else to sort of round out the picture of love and that'll work well that sounds great but it simply goes against it falsifies the reality of whatever kind of commitment ultimately people really deep down need in in the in the real crime. You know, a a chaplain was writing that in a hospice that when people are dying, she has yet to see anybody talking about their career or some kind of symbolic cause they were involved in. It is all about family and it is all about love, whether love and family gone wrong that needs forgiveness and reconciliation or love and family gone right and therefore the need of support and solidarity in the midst of departure. And uh, that being the case, um, you cannot... um, 
falsify the nature of love. And sex is a the carrier and bearer of love for people who live in bodies. And so the Christian nightmare was a nightmare caused by an inability to understand the instinctive character of reality. And this caused all the different problems which ultimately have led to alienation, anger, and incredible contumacy and tremendous resentment and bitterness, which now for other reasons, uh, partly the uh, the falsification that the church was involved in other areas, you end up having what appears to be a kind of judgment, if I can use that word, or certainly a kind of retraction of the Christian um, insight. Well, I'm going to finish. What have I said? I've said that the Cora Ross's uh, invocation of the notion of falsification in relationship to adultery, that is why we say, we used to say, you know, he was untrue to her. Or when he was away, she was untrue to him. Remember that song by the Human League? It's a wonderful song. I think they're actually just called Human League. Um, I, what is it? Um, human Nature, isn't it called that? <laughs> While you were away, she says, I was untrue. I was human too. I'm only human. I'm only human. Boom, boom, of flesh and blood I've made. I'm only human. Well, that is so deep. And when we are unable to see the sheer humanity, which does involve the reassurance of trust, the reassurance of trust, which is broken in Le Bonheur and is therefore leaps up in its reality to cause the woman, she doesn't even know why she's doing it. Who does when they commit suicide? They, they don't know why they're doing it. I was watching the House of Fright, or what was called the Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, um, in uh, the 1961, I think it is, maybe 1959, Hammer Horror, um, Terence Fisher directed a film, um, their um, sort of weird and not altogether successful take on the Jekyll and Hyde story. But Dawn Adams, the actress at one point, something horrible happens to the man she really loves. It happens to be not her husband, but something her husband, who's really Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde, <clears throat> does something really awful to the third party, the man she loves. And she, without even thinking about it, she throws herself. And the thing that we always remembered, kids who watched that movie, she throws herself off, off a balcony and she goes, right through a skylight into a uh, group of dancing, uh, evening-jacketed French-English uh, aristocrats slumming with a bunch of London chorus girls and uh, dance- dancers who have been just doing can-can. <clears throat> but she, without even thinking it, hurts. it's so obvious to her that she needs to commit suicide. And I, as I watched her, I said, you know, from her point of view, it is. <clears throat> I mean, given where she is at that moment, no wonder she commits suicide. Now, there's people that commit suicide. Their love is forcing them to. Their needs are forcing them to. We cannot throw... They wouldn't commit suicide if they were in their right minds, but they're not because something instinctive is welling forth. In this case, grief and in the earlier case, the, the, the hurt of a trust that is broken. Falsification. Falsification existed, in my humble opinion, and Ron Paul, for what that's worth, I don't know much about him, but I'm not sure I do. But whoever he is said that he was appalled when the uh, evangelicals in the Christian church, and in fact it was all over all over the Christian churches of all stripes, with some exceptions, when uh, the Iraq war, the preemptive Iraq war was backed as a quote, Christian crusade against evil. I mean, for heaven's sake, no wonder uh, we're being uh, looked at uh, askance by an incredible world. You know, here he is, the Prince of Peace, wonderful, marvelous, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting father, da 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 da. The, you know, we hear all these people at Christmas Eve, they, you know, they sing, da da da. 
the Prince of Peace. All these people with such viability and such apparent drama. They sing Handel's Messiah and then they back the opposite of it. No wonder the church is looked at. What are these people doing? Let alone going to law. And that's an internal thing um, that is so clearly a falsification of the deepest commitments we make. And it has to do with gossip. It has to do with certainly this other nightmare I spoke of. Uh, but we all do it. And the great thing that Christianity, when you can sort of sort of forgive it, it's falsification. And again, the falsification exists everywhere. It's by no means a, it's a human phenomenon, not a Christian phenomenon. But when it affects the Christian church, it's going to have a tremendous negative effect on the fortunes and profile and appeal of the Christian church. I've been watching something going on on the internet regarding some people that I know very well that I'm no longer connected to, but I've been watching an horrific series of internecine attacks going on. These are all basically good people and very, quote, used witnesses for Christianity at large, but the way they are slamming each other and attacking each other, it's gone. I mean, it must be 77 blogs now have been devoted to this terrible thing that's going on in an organization I know well, and there it is. I mean, how in the world is anyone going to look at that and not say, well, what fools these mortals be? By the way, uh, go on YouTube and look under Laika and the Cosmonauts. Laika, L-A-I-K-A, and the Cosmonauts, which are a Finnish surfing band with a strong outer space vibe. One of my favorite bands, I'm looking right now at a... uh, at an autographed matchbook with their names on them from a recent appearance. Not so recent. They've disbanded. But nevertheless, I saw them not so long ago. And they do a version of, I think it's called Perdido. Uh, Perdido, that wonderful beat song. Look under Laika and the Cosmonauts. Finish, and they do a, a version with some... Uh, backup singers all dressed up in Finnish outer space wear and they have a thing they can't speak English when they recorded it and they have the thing what fools these mortals be you will die what fools these mortals what fools these Christians be but that doesn't take away from the fact that there are still two enormous sources of hope here which if we could simply get beyond and I we may not be able to do that in our lifetime get beyond the tremendous consequences of the terminal falsifications that we were all part of. If we could just get beyond, we would look at two great themes, and here I finish, and I won't be long. One is reality, and one is mercy. The New Testament looks at human beings in reality. It understands that we are flawed. Freud did this, by the way, and there's a wonderful post from David Zoll and Mockingbird. I think it was yesterday, which would be probably the 2nd of February, about the the reason Freud is so unpopular today among a lot of humanists because he locates the source of human aggression and human libidinal violence and uh, envy and jealousy in us. Now, that is a theme that is embedded in the New Testament, both in the Gospels and in the Epistles and in the um, apocalyptic writings like the book of Revelation. And uh, the reality that of human nature that Bob Dylan, by the way, picked up on very strongly initially and rightly in my view, because it's there, the reality of the human condition, the boundary of the will, the tremendous way we are do that which we do not wish to do and do not do that which we ought to do, all the sins of commission and omission that are explained by the psychic dynamics of self-justifying, compartmentalizing, and falsifying human beings. It's all there in the New Testament in a way that is very striking and very important because it helps if only um, the woman in Le Bonheur and the husband, more importantly, had understood this. Uh, A terrible thing wouldn't have happened if we'd only looked carefully at the reality of what happens when you, for example, 
open the can of worms of secular law. I mean, Dickens understood it in Bleak House. That's why he wrote Bleak House, that you cannot go to secular law in uh, issues of the heart uh, because um, too many other things come into play, much of which has been discredited in the ministry of Jesus himself. I mean, after all, look what happened. I mean, who, who got, who, who was, who was freed and who was uh, found guilty and executed. I mean, there you have the limits of, of human law. And finally, mercy, reality and mercy, because instead of recoiling with horror and terror and wrath and judgment on the reality, Christian faith at its heart and then the person of Christ himself, I like to use the old-fashioned uh, apposite Christ for Jesus, but be that as it may, mercy Mercy is there for people who've sinned not seven times, Lord, but 70 times seven, which is the reality of the falsification. You falsify not once or twice or three times, but 70 times seven. I, I was sometimes told as a child, well, you know, your father would... Um, would 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 give his life for you your father would lie he he would he would lie down on the street and and let a truck run over him to save your life and i would i immediately always thought when that was said to me but but why doesn't he just come to a game or uh, well, I, I just wish he'd be here or why why couldn't he just come to a school event in other words all the talk i mean he's he's not being called upon to lie down before a truck that's a Putative. I even would have thought that word. Can you imagine a kid who would have thought that word? That's a conceptual idea. I want him. I want his presence. I don't want his pledge that he'd lie underneath a Mack truck because I don't see any Mack trucks coming to hit me at this moment. I need him. I need you. You know what I'm saying? So um, often things are promised. You know, we falsify, 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 falsify. Everybody does it. We'll always do it. We're the victims of falsification and we're the, the peddlers of falsification, but in the New Testament, he is the God of mercy, and he has mercy on the 70 times 7, whether it's your mom and dad, or whether it's you, or whether it's Yves Montand in Manon of the Spring and Jean de Floretti, or whether it's uh, Gerald Depardieu, or whether it's the, the characters in uh, all of them in Victor Hugo. The worst scum are given the possibility of mercy. And it is a very uh, tremendous, significant resource that uh, the Christian church is unable to bring to the so-called public forums now because it has been so discredited by its history of falsification. Uh, And um, that is why our great uranium and kryptonite underground bauxite Veins of gold. Now that you've left me, all I've got is a band of gold. All I've got is the love I hold, but the memory, boom, boom. Uh, We've got a band of gold, people. It's been buried by falsification, and yet it's still something very worthy. Reality and mercy. Thank you for listening. God bless.